Good morning, Grace Place family. Don't forget to set your clocks back next Sunday or you will be behind. So next Sunday is daylight savings time. Uh, we uh, had again, the Farmer's Almanac came to us at the beginning of the year to find out where we were putting all of our uh, special events. And uh, so they could, you know, know when, if we were having a picnic or a special event, that that would be the day of a cataclysmic, you know, weather event. So uh, we gave them those uh, stats when it's happening. And that is also a reason you're going to want to be here this uh, next Sunday is it's one of those cataclysmic weather events is going to take place <laughs> because we're going to have a celebration. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Those of you who are here on campus, so grateful and thankful for you and many of you that uh, have been here a long time and we're grateful that you're back. And for those of you who are not yet back or still watching us online, we miss you and we're ready for you when you're ready to come back. Uh, this is it for us on God Talks for this year. It just has just flown by, hasn't it? It's been incredible. And Michelle and I, you know, we are looking at the, the God Talks uh, that we have used, you know, the lettering and stuff, and we have painted them and we have cared for them and knocked dents out of them. And so this is the, probably the last year for them, you know. The L is kind of leaning, and and uh, <laughs> so this is kind of it. Let's straighten this up here. There you go. One more time before we end the the year. Uh, so next year's God Talks will probably have a different kind of a logo, but we have painted, repainted them, and and fixed them up. They've held up pretty good. So uh, we're glad that you have joined us for God Talks as we have been exploring courage and a godly courage, and each weekend has been fantastic. I had a one-on-one -on -one, uh, yesterday with a young man who has a terrific story. I think he will be here with us, uh, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, the second Sunday in November. Hope to introduce him to you and have him share a little bit about what God had done to his heart, but suddenly on our, um, you know, uh, stewardship application where the giving takes place, his name popped up and uh, curious, you know, as to, to what was going on. Somebody that we didn't know was, was giving to us to try to find out what was, what was happening. And uh, not a, a, uh, a lot of funds because he's, he's in uh, school. He's going to school, a part-time job. And, and uh, so I learned from him that God has spoke to him uh, to Take, he grew up in a small church. His dad was a pastor, and God has spoke to him about, you know, even a little bit can help in a small church setting. He had that background, that experience. And so, uh, you know, God, God laid on his heart to, to support uh, smaller churches and churches that, that may not have the kind of revenue that maybe a big, large church has because of his time with his dad. He really did understand um, little things in the church make a, a big difference in a small church. And so God laid it on his heart to do that. And so he was just praying about it. Well, where should I do it? And he happened to be back here in uh, the Round Rock area, and he was at Target. So one of you guys, probably one of my daughters, was at Target with your car, and it had the GodTalks.tv sticker. And so he went on that, and he saw all the wonderful stories of what God has done in people's lives, and it really inspired him, and that's how he came to know us. And uh, God has been doing some really incredible things in his life. But I had a one-on-one -on -one with him yesterday and was uh, recapping some of our time together 
uh, in God Talks. And uh, thinking back about this uh, last week as we looked at a life lived, you know, faithfully for Jesus Christ. And so many in my family, maybe in your family, have lived faithfully for God, courageously have lived out their faith to the point that it was time for them to go home. Uh, the grandparents, uh, my mom will be here for Thanksgiving. You'll get to meet my mom. Uh, she is the youngest of eight, and she's the only one still here. The rest of our family, uh, her brothers and sisters, have all gone on to be with the Lord. They live faithful lives. And so we talked about in our God Talk series how when you live a faithful life like that and you die a natural death and you go home to be with the Lord, that that story of our life is that Jesus is worth living for, right? Amen. We can see it in their lives. And man, I have so many great memories. My family was, uh, my, my grandfather was an original member of the Stamps Quartet. Somebody had asked me last week, Stamps that sing with, uh, you know, Elvis Presley. And yes, they did later down the line. But my grandfather was a part of the original group, which goes back to like uh, 1924, I think, was the start of uh, the original Stamps Quartet. And so he did that. And, they, and if any of you have any memories from your grandparents about what the Stamps were in the beginning, they actually went around and had music schools. They traveled all over, a lot in Texas here. Uh, they traveled around and taught music schools and taught congregations how to sing the songs of Jesus, how to sing hymns and, and things like that. And, of course, they had songs they had written and and uh, many of them, uh, you know, started other groups and J.D. Sumner and so on and so forth. And so a uh, great, great heritage there. But what that meant for me growing up is that every member of all my, bro uh, my mom's brothers and sisters, they, every time we got together, they wanted to sing. You know, she was the one that played the piano. And we would get around the piano and there was singing and it was always, you know, hymns. And, and uh, my grandfather would sing. I loved hearing his voice and and uh, hearing all of them singing together in harmony, it's just, there's nothing like family harmony, right? It's just incredible. So their life legacy for me, uh, faithful living for Jesus Christ, taught me that, uh, that Jesus is worth living for, right? And then we talked about the martyrs, and we said the message of the martyrs, those that were under persecution. We went to Revelations and talked about how that they, they have a... God has set a special category for the martyrs. He gives them a white robe to wear. And the reason why is they gave us a different life message. Jesus is worth dying for. Amen. He's worth living for. But Jesus is worth dying for. And it's so powerful uh, when we see those two aspects of courage lived out uh, in front of us. And we have such a great heritage in our Christian heritage. I was thinking... Uh, when I was talking with this young man, I said, you know, uh, William Tyndall, uh, who helped put uh, the first Bible in English, was a martyr. He was burned at the stake because he took uh, the, the uh, work, the Septuagente, the, the Latin work, and made it into English so that we could read it. And that was his crime. And that was how he was, uh, his life was taken because of that. And he taught us, and so many more, Jesus is worth dying for. Amen? So courage has been a tremendous series for us. Uh, this morning I want to look at the courage of Deborah. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do at home and here on campus or at least your Bible apps on your phone. 
Judges chapter 4 and 5 tells a story of Deborah, the judge that God used in a mighty way, tremendous courage that she had. Judges chapter 4 uh, is where we're going to read just verses 3 through 10. We'll tell more of the story as we go along, but we're just going to focus on this part of the passage for our text today. Judges chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah near Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinanion, and Kedish, and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops into Mount Tabor. Take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with his multitude of, uh, at the river of Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And so she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak uh, called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kedesh. Uh, he went up with 10,000 men under the command of Deborah, went up with him. Our story has uh, kind of an ominous beginning that we didn't read, which it begins in verse 1 there in chapter 4 by saying, when Elod, or Ehud um, was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. These moments we talked about when we uh, were talking about courage where Moses had died and Joshua generation was to rise up. God always has a leader prepared that will lead in courage, but it's always up to the people. They're pivotal moments in the life of a people when uh, the people of God, when a patriarch, when someone that we look up to, someone that we've honored, someone that we have followed uh, with, uh, you know, that has led us in, in our walk with the Lord, uh, passes away. It could be a family member. It could be uh, pastors, spiritual leaders of some kind. Uh, people who were uh, intricate in the shaping of our life spiritually. And when they pass away, these are pivotal moments for us. Will we go on and will we become the next uh, generation leader, which is what was required of Joshua, or will we follow the one that God raises up to be the next generation leader, which is in the instance of uh, Deborah, God had raised up. And you have to think back, too, about the time here and, uh, you know, it was a masculine time, a time of men, and women were not always recognized for their giftings and their abilities. And so a special challenge for the children of Israel to not just follow the next male leader, but now follow Deborah, 
a female leader who God has raised up, anointed, and wants to use in this particular time. Why is it so challenging for us to gather the courage and to follow on after there has been a fall? Uh, when, when it says in the opening passage, they did evil again, which is the natural default of humanity, and, and we see it all around us. And, and when great leaders fall, sometimes great spiritual leaders fall, there is seasons of that. I'm thinking particularly about a large uh, work uh, in the Chicago area where um, they had a giant of a, of a leader who fell, and uh, now there is, there's, there's real challenge in a church that was upwards of twenty uh, to 30,000 people with all of these satellite works and things like this, and it's been extremely challenging, and people have been falling away. Uh, they have fallen away because they, they lost their hope in a, in a leader that was there, and various other things are going on. But in the midst of that, there's a remnant of people who are rising up uh, to, to regain uh, the mission and, the, and the, the cause for that work that's going forward. The question comes, why is it so challenging for us and why is it that we, as we read over and over in, in, in Old Testament scripture, one of the godly kings dies or uh, one of the godly prophets or leaders die, and it, it just uses that phrase over and over again, and the children of Israel did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord again. It's so easy for us to default back to that Satan is the god of this world, uses us against us. He takes advantage of every opportunity to spread the plague of sin. He uses what seems to be natural inside of us to instinctually take care of us, to take care of our desires, our, our lusts, our, 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 the things that we want for us, and then uses us against each other in terms of, uh, we've talked before about how he's, uh, one of the things he uses effectively is the accuser. He accuses us to God. He accuses God to us. God doesn't really love you. You see what you're going through, the difficult times? He doesn't really care about you. He doesn't know what's going on. But he also accuses us to each other, right? They don't agree with you. They're not the same. They don't believe what you believe. And so on and so forth. And so the term uh, used uh, under Lenin was a term, useful idiots. It was used by Vladimir Lenin to describe communist sympathizers in the West of America. And, and while Lenin and the Soviets held a, uh, all Westerners in, in really utter contempt, they viewed some as tools for dispensing communist propaganda. They called them useful idiots. Those uh, who would, would infect the country with their idealisms and the things that they wanted to share. And so the enemy does with us. In, in our ranks, uses uh, those who will, will be useful for him for the moment, has no caring about us long-term, his, his ultimate plan never changes, kill, steal, destroy, but he's, he's happy to use us as, as available tools to discourage ourselves or discourage others who are around us. I wondered out loud this week if the most dangerous in our society may not be those who steal and destroy, uh, those who are bent on obvious outward evil that we can see, but maybe it's those that provide them with a cover, with an alibi. For instance, could it be those who justify the sin? Could it be those who create seats of power so that evil can sit there, financing it, 
taking care of it in every way they can. It may, uh, what, what about those that provide the gold that is used to develop the idol calf that they might worship? What guilt would they play? Was the person who was sculpting the, the, the calf for the children of Israel while, Mount, uh, while uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai, was, was he the most guilty? Or was it the people who willingly and gladly brought him what was necessary for the product to be formed? Is it those who convince the weak to lay down their values and embrace a new normal? To sit at the seat of exchange and say, I know that you don't uh, agree that, you know, we should fund abortion. But if you'll sign off on this amount of money for Planned Parenthood, then we'll sign off on something that you agree with. The safety and the security of your people in your town or your city? Is it those who use scripture out of context, as we talked about last week, for sinful behavior? They will take the Bible and put it up on the shelf, and they only pull it off to convince you using what they would call a proof text to show you how wrong you are. And the Bible says that, and you're not even believing that. Then it goes back on the shelf because they certainly aren't living by it. It's not breath and life for them and sustenance. Not only known for her wisdom, though, uh, but Deborah was known for her courage. Her wisdom coming from God gave her the ability to see through the falseness that was going on around them. To sit underneath what they call the palm of Deborah on a daily basis, and she would bring they would bring to her, and this, this harkens back, you may remember, uh, about Moses. And in the beginning, Moses was in charge of everything. You remember that? Yeah, there's, there's schematics that show Moses was in charge of plumbing, and Moses was in charge of water, and Moses was in charge of, of food. It was his, his, uh, uh, un- or his uh, father-in-law who came to him and said, hey, you can't do all this. It's going to kill you. But he would sit in a seat and hear people's cases. And this is what, what uh, Deborah was doing but only the judicial legal cases. They were bringing them to her, accusing one another, other kinds of things. She cut through it with the wisdom of God, saw what was going on, and, and called them to live out what God said. This, is, this was her book of the law, right? This, is, this was her supreme court. <laughs> was the counsel of God's wisdom, and she would break that out, and, and be able to dispense wisdom to them. But not only did it take the wisdom for Deborah to do that, it took the courage, because people don't live well when you disagree with them. They don't always, uh, they don't always go home happy. They think about how that they might cut the tires on your chariot, right? <laughs> There's all kinds of things that come up, and the enemy is not short of ideas, in, in terms of helping them to destroy you. They think about how they might trip your kid on the way home from school, or whatever it might be, right? They think about how they might shut down your bakery, right? Or, or they might end your livelihood. So this is the nature of people living in evil, and it took courage, not just the wisdom, it took courage for Deborah to stand up in the face of evil and to speak truth and life in, in the sense of knowing that people were not wanting to hear sometimes 
what she was wanting to say to them. She's the only, or one of the few women, I would say, in the Hebrew Bible who gained renown with, with, uh, among men, not because of a relationship with her husband or some other man, but she gained it on her own. Uh, she, she was truly a, a remarkable judge, a military strategist, a poet, and a prophet. And I would add to that, you, chapter, you got to read chapter 5, we're not going to read it today, but the Song of Deborah, she was, she was also a worship leader, someone who would, who, who would craft out a worship song and lead the whole uh, community in that. Reminding me of, of Miriam, one of the first worship leaders, females, who when they crossed over uh, the, the dry sea, uh, the Red Sea, and they got to the other side, Miriam was Moses' uh, sister, and she had a song. <laughs> and they began to sing about the triumph of God in their lives. And so Deborah also wanted the people to put to memory, and that's why we sing together, right, in worship, because we're putting to memory what God has accomplished for us, what he has done for us. And remembering that he did it in the past, he's done it in the present, he'll do it in the future. Amen? He's, he's the one who takes care of us. And so Deborah lived somewhere about 1150, uh, 1150 BCE, and uh, about uh, a century or so after the Hebrews had entered Canaan. So uh, this is the Joshua generation that kind of began to move further and further from uh, leadership. Her story is, is told in the book of Judges. Uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, and I'd encourage you, uh, even after this message, to, to read through it. We opened up by reading uh, a section there that said, She sat underneath the palm tree of Deborah, Ramon Bethel, in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her for judgment. This location uh, tells us uh, what we learn as the story unfolds, and that is that uh, between Ramah, uh, Ramah and, and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, uh, that places Deborah and her fellow Hebrews in an area that was controlled by King Jabin of Hazar, uh, who was opposed to Israel. And the opening uh, passages here tell us that 20 years he had, um, he had ruled over them and, and had subjected them to terrible things. As we read more in, in the Old Testament scriptures, we see uh, the kinds of things that were going on when the children of Israel were under uh, the authority of other uh, nations like that. And some were subjected to slavery, but many of them were living out in barren territories that, that uh, the enemy didn't think uh, was, was valuable, so that's what they gave them to live in. And then if they were able to succeed and grow a crop, we read about how that raiding troops would come in when it was harvest time and would take the best of their crops and leave them some, a little something or absolutely nothing. And uh, this was the life that Israel was living under. And so I'm certain that there was a, a, a sadness and, and, and a constant sorrow in and among this community uh, as they were living underneath a, a horrible regime. But Deborah was ready always to follow whatever God would lead. And if it just was go sat under the palm tree today and judge my people and give them wise judgment. She was fine with that. But if God was ready to, to lead his, his, uh, his, his uh, children to victory, she was ready to do that. She was ready to do whatever God would require of her. And the question that I think is, is, comes out of this for us early on in this passage is, are you as brave as a woman? Are, do you have the courage 
in you to follow God no matter where God leads and no matter what you think you know, your um, challenges are, your inabilities are. God uses warriors that sometimes don't look like warriors, right? He uses warriors to go to battle for him that don't always look like warriors. And I'll give you an example. Several years ago, I was a, a young pastor. It just started out uh, as, as uh, it was really just, you know, several months into my first pastorate. Now, I had been at this church as a youth pastor. I had been there as an associate pastor. Now I took the helm and it was, you know, there was a lot uh, that I've seen the whole church differently and the whole situation differently. Suddenly, you know, um, the problems that I didn't have before as a staff member were sitting on my desk and, and in front of me. But to add to that, we were going through a, a difficult season spiritually. And, uh, you know, I started seeing uh, dark manifestations in, in our congregation and some of the membership, some of the things that were going on. Early on, it started with some, some counseling and, and some things that had arisen in the midst. And I began to realize that this thing could fracture if it wasn't dealt with, that the enemy was having you know, a, a, uh, some success on, on, on the battlefield of my church. And he was beginning to, to manifest and in, in a way that wasn't even trying to hide. Now, I can give you some, some real-life examples uh, I will. I'll give you one example. So we had. So there was a there was a real kind of spirit of lust that was moving through the congregation, and and uh, I, we had a, a young woman that came that we had I'd never seen before. She came in on a Sunday night, and a lovely young lady. She came up and sat about you know right up near the front, second row, and uh, all of a sudden, like um, a couple of the young men in the in the congregation, they're never like this. They had never done anything like this before. They went immediately up to where she was. I thought at first they knew her, realized soon after that they did not. Some of the things that I think I was seeing over the season were as much spiritual as they were real, physically happening. But I, I really began to see lust manifestation on these guys' faces towards this, this young woman who had just come into the congregation. It, 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 I would be getting fearful as a pastor. We're destroying our witness. There's... No one who's going to come back to this kind of setting. And I mean, you know, um, just natural space barriers tell us if you don't know someone and they're a stranger, even if you sit on the same pew as them, you're going to sit on the opposite side of it or whatever, you know. Or certainly you would introduce yourself after the service and keep your distance and be polite. So I was seeing things that were alarming. They were alarming. And there was much more that I could add to that. There was a lot going on. And so I reached out to a, a uh, seasoned, uh, wise pastor and asked him, you know, what am I going to do? Shared some of the stories of what was going on. And uh, he said, you know, I, I know someone who deals in this area. They're powerful. They have a powerful ministry of deliverance. And I would really encourage you to have them come and, and speak at your church. And so um, he gave me the phone number, contact. Uh, I needed to fly this person down, and I was happy to do that. And uh, so we, I talked to him over the phone, was impressed with things that were said, and, and so um, I set it up. And uh, so when I went to the airport to meet this guy, um, I immediately was disappointed. He did not look like a warrior. <laughs> you know, what, what I was really looking for was James Garner, you know, about 6'8", you know, with this, uh, you know, gun on the side, gun smoke, you know, uh, or, or, you know, maybe The Rock, you know. 
Uh, that would have been okay in modern times, you know, that, that I go pick this guy up, very muscular, you know, looks like he's going to throw demons around. And I was looking for somebody like that. So when I, when I went to pick this guy up, he was, he was short and he was skinny guy. He looked like a bookworm, uh, not a warrior. And uh, he, he spoke to me, he sounded like uh, and looked like Wally Cox. And I, I have a picture of, uh, there he is. That's kind of what this guy looked like uh, when I went to pick him up. And uh, so internally, I was angry with my friend because he, to me, had, had uh, sent me a knife and it was a gunfight, you know. <laughs> and I was going to go to battle with, it, with this little skinny, scrawny guy and, you know, here we go. It's, it's really going to be uh, a total train wreck and nobody is going to be fearful of, of this guy stepping in the pulpit. In fact, the pulpit in that day, in that time, we had a big pulpit sitting up front, was almost taller than this guy. So you could kind of only see his nose and his glasses. And his forehead, you know, when he went up to the pulpit, he would step out periodically. You know, you could see his, his skinny frame. But here he was, you know. And he opened up the Bible, and he wasn't even, like, authoritative. Like, when he would read, you know, he was just, just very matter-of-fact. And, and he would read the Bible. So it was Sunday morning. I, I introduced him. He steps out to the pulpit. And he, he begins to read from the Scriptures, you know. Uh, just, just starting to read from the Bible. And he got, like... I would say two minutes through reading the scriptures, and he stopped and he said, steps out to the side. He said, I just want to address the spirit that I sense is here right now. And he and he, he calls it out and he says, In the name of Jesus, you're dismissed. You can't be here anymore. And when he stepped back to read, four people came up to the altar and started praying. And uh, I thought, people are answering an altar call. This guy isn't giving. And so he uh, he read again. He was reading to Pat. He stopped. He said, I, I just want to address another spirit. Spirit of suicide is in this place. And in the name of Jesus, we take authority over you. Get out. And another 10 people came up to the front and started. And by the time this guy was, was 15 minutes into his message, my, the altars are full. And I'm thinking, well, you know, he, he probably needs to come down and start praying with people. And he hadn't invited anybody to do anything. They were just calling out to God. Some were weeping. You could hear almost kind of a, a wave of, of, of moaning in the congregation, you know, of people crying out to God. And, and instead, he steps kind of by and over these people, and he goes out to the ones who were still there. And he begins to minister to them. And I'm telling you what, we had such a powerful, incredible service. Uh, and that was a Sunday morning, and uh, I would say we had 75% of our attendance. Sunday night was standing room only. I mean, people heard about it. They went home, called the phone. So Wally Cox has a full house plus on Sunday night. And uh, we held him over till Wednesday. And every night, it seemed like the congregation grew and God was doing more and more incredible things. And the reason I wanted to tell you that story is because I, I want to emphasize to you that God uses warriors that don't look like warriors. God can use you as a mighty warrior, as he used Deborah as a mighty warrior. It's during this time that, that King Jabin's oppressive rule uh, and, and Deborah in Judges chapter 4 uh, through 5 simply states this. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at the time and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. But in the next two verses it says, send uh, and, and call for Barak and he said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, 
Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulon, and against you well, uh, I will deploy um, Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with multitude of the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hands. Now, Deborah is saying, God's been saying this to me. I know God's been saying this to you. It's time for us to rise up right now and obey God and, and take, uh, do what God is calling us to do. It's time for us to muster the courage and get the army together to do what God's called us to do. Now, brought you something about uh, Deborah that uh, she, you know, that uh, was evident in the in the community there, and that was that she had tremendous courage, but she inspired courage. And so he's like, you know, I want you with me. I want people who inspire courage to be by my side, standing me, because. It's one thing for me to call them forth in duty and I'm their commander and say, we're going to go, you know, and, and, but if they see courageous people taking a stand, it's, it's bolstering their courage. They're ready for the victory. So Brock said to her, uh, if you will go with me, then uh, I will go. But if you not, will not go with me, I will not go. And so she said, I will surely go with you. And, and this is courage lived out in our lives, inspires other people around us to do courageous things. When we take the courage to do something, it inspires others to do courageous things as well. And the Lord routed, it says in, in chapter 4, verse 15, Sisera and all his chariots and all his army at the edge of the sword before Barak. But Barak then pursued the fleeing chariots and the army of Sisera, and he killed them all. But the commander of uh, the the group of, of Syrians, the uh, Sisera was uh, was escaped. Did not uh, was not able to be captured by him. Because you remember, the prophecy was God's going to give the victory to a woman, right? I'm sure in his mind he was thinking, "It's Deborah. She's courageous. She's bold." But sometimes there's people that's courageous that are quieter that we don't really recognize and we don't know. And I I want I'm not going to do it this morning. I want you to go read about what happened to Sisera and uh, the name Jael, the woman, and uh, what she did. Now, when you read that story, you will never camp again the same way, right? You will look at your camping equipment completely different, especially those of you who have tents. You're going to look at all of your camping tent equipment completely differently when you read the story about what happened to Sisera with JL. Okay? So I'm going to encourage you to go and read that. You're never going to think about camping the same. But this story had an ominous beginning, but a triumphal ending. We read about it in chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. It starts off with they were, they, uh, were brought into slavery and captivity uh, because of their evilness and their rejection of God. And now God's provided a day of deliverance. Uh, so on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. Now listen to this. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. It grew stronger and stronger against them because... They obeyed God and moved out courageously. 
What God wants to do with you and I is first requires our courage to go forth and obey him. But he wants to make us stronger and stronger against the enemies that surround us. Against the temptations of the enemy. Against uh, the, the voices that seek to tear down. God wants to make you stronger and stronger. But it's going to require that we be obedient to him, right? So in a violent time that Israel fought uh, for their own survival, Deborah was called. She stepped forward and, and, uh, she, to the aid of her people. And God is, is looking today, right now, for courageous men and women who will make a stand in our time of need. The courage to obey God instills courage in those who are watching our lives. In some instances, it's just your children who need that courage. To watch the courage in you gives them the courage to go to school. To watch the courage in you gives them the courage to step out and to be what God has called them to do because they've seen you become what God has called you to become. In other instances, there are people who are watching our lives who are gaining courage by recognizing that people who live for God live differently. And that they, though they, they, they thought that, that might, others might make fun of them for living their Christianity out loud, they have been instilled with courage by watching your life because you have lived Jesus out loud. She sent soldiers into battle, but not alone. She went with them, right? She lived out her faith. She trusted God. She took him at his word. Before we can lead the community, we must lead our family. We must lead our home. We must lead all in personal disciplines. It takes courage to admit that you failed. It takes courage to repent and turn from your sin. Our children are watching these things. They, they need that kind of courage so that when they face those challenges, they can have the courage to say, God, forgive me. It takes courage to ask for help. It takes courage to turn the leading of your life completely over to God. And there are people who are watching us for that. Full surrender takes courage. I am getting out of the driver's seat and I am allowing God to dictate. I'm going to make all the decisions of my life through the lens of Jesus is Lord and Savior over my life. It's a completely different way of living, and it takes courage to do that, because the natural instincts that we have uh, are, are opposed often to what God is leading us into, right? And, and that whole idea of uh, flight <laughs> in the midst of uh, you know, panic and, and all of that, when God is calling us to stand, it's tough. It's difficult. It takes courage. Do you have that kind of courage today? Do you have the courage to live for Jesus? I invite our worship team to come back. Do you have the courage to live a life that God has called you to live, to live for Jesus, to glorify him? Do you have courage to live like those who faithfully lived before me that I described earlier, my family members who held on to the truths of Scripture and I gained great encouragement and the story of their lives is that living for Jesus, Jesus is worth living for. Amen. And I have also known of those and read of those 
who were persecuted because of their faith. Going back to the disciples, and each of them stood as martyrs. And reading through their lives and, and seeing what happened to them, it gives me the courage to die for Jesus as well. You have the courage to die for Jesus. We may not be required. That may not happen for us. We certainly are seeing things happen on our shores that we haven't seen before. And as it, it, we've learned something in 2020, right? Here's something we've learned, and that is that, that things can change quickly. Quickly. I mean, it, it didn't take a, a nanosecond to shut our country completely down, to restrict reliber, uh, religious liberties. It took, it took almost no time. So for us to think, well, this will evolve, and we'll see something, and you know, then we'll know, and then we can shore up ourselves and be ready, and uh, get a 90-day food supply or whatever we think we're going to need to do to survive and weather the storms, right? Uh, we don't get warning. It happens suddenly, suddenly. And so we need to be able to answer these questions now. Do we have the courage to live for Christ? If he allows us to live a full life, die and, and be with him. But do we have the courage to die for him if our faith is challenged and we're held at, at gunpoint, so to speak, to say deny him or need him now? Do we have the courage to make that kind of stand? We opened uh, this uh, season of God Talks with the story of Mihai and him telling us about living in a communist country and saying that he at many times and, you know, was challenged in his faith and felt like that he was going to, at a minimum, be black marked and not be able to have a job, uh, be cast aside because of his faith, his belief in Christ Jesus, at a maximum that he may well be thrown into prison or, or killed because of his belief. And then, frighteningly and unsolicited from him, at the end of that video was about a minute and a half to tell us that he sees some of the signs of what was happening there coming to the shores of America. And it's a time for us to awaken and say, God, I want the courage in my life to live for you. I want the courage to die for you. And it, and it involves today me making a full surrender. And I invite you to stand. And I want to pray over you. And then we're going to have the worship team sing with us. Father, thank you for this season of God Talks and all that you have accomplished and done. But if we have been in any way, God, distance ourselves from you this morning, we come, uh, Lord, surrendering ourselves completely and wholly to you and asking you, God, to, to make this our altar, our place where we stand right now, that we would submit and surrender ourselves to you. We want to be your warriors. We want to have the courage to live for you, certainly. But we want to have the courage to die for you as well. You are worth living for, and you are worth dying for. We are so grateful for all that you have accomplished in us, and in our world, and in our nation. God, help us to obey you and to follow you every step of the way. We make our surrender here today. In Jesus' name, amen.